Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Today's podcast, we uh, take the economic situation one step forward. We also talk to you about what Texas is doing uh, on the border and what Florida is now doing with 18 other states uh, to stop ESG. Um, we, we also have Missy Robertson on, who is telling this incredible story that she, um, she actually told on uh, the Robertson's uh, podcast. It's on The Blaze, Unashamed. It, it, she was at a library with Kirk Cameron and uh, O'Reilly uh, Gaines, uh, and the library staff freaked out on them. Uh, and it's, you know, more wokeism, which, by the way, I start the podcast defining. And an amazing woman talking about waking up and courage. You don't want to miss a second of today's podcast. Brought to you by American Giant. American Giant would like to thank you for doing business with them. They started advertising with us in October of last year. I met with the uh, company founder, uh, Bayard Winthrop, and I told him about you and how you believe in American workers and American manufacturing. Um, And uh, he got to know you, and he started to advertise, did a few advertising uh, things, and said the business was crazy. He loves you. And I've never had a client say, I want to do advertising, but I just, I want to do two things. One, I don't really want to sell them anything. I just want to say thank you for those that bought something. And then I want to remind people that we have to bring manufacturing back. And I'm like, okay, but you probably should sell some clothing as well. This guy is driven on his mission. That we are better than we than we are behaving right now. We're better than this. And our country is not going to be able to come back unless we start using the resources and the people of America. They make the best hoodie you'll ever own. A lot of other quality clothing as well. Cottons grown in America, milled in America, cut and sewn here in America, assembled in America, all of it. So thanks from American Giant. Um, and that thanks comes from me as well. Keep manufacturing growing in America. Learn more about it at American-Giant.com slash Glenn. That's American-Giant.com slash Glenn. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Yeah, you sick, twisted freak. Last night I did a, a program on the economy and... I'm hoping that I'm not right on a couple of things. Uh, Steve Forbes was watching the first 20 minutes and I said, so, Steve, what did I get wrong? And then he started to spook me uh, because he was like, well, no, you you got the basics right here. uh, And uh, they're moving to digital currency. Run for your life. I'm like, "Okay, Steve, Steve, thank you. Um, But there is something that I said last night that I am still not sure I understand completely. I asked Carol Roth to look into it. The way I understand it, the way it has been presented to me, 
shows real uh, a, a real problem uh, with with the Fed, and the Fed is so secretive. You know, you can't get you can't get anything for five years, so you can't check their books. You can't see what they're doing uh, for five years. So I, I'm not sure what all of this means, but Carol has looked into it, and I've got a couple of other things to report to you. Uh, we have um, an update on the UCC bill that is going through your state house right now. Gosh, I can I I know I throw stuff at you, and you're like, oh, the UCC bill. Thank you, uh, Chief Geek. I appreciate. It. I'm going to my geek meeting here in a minute. I know that this is stuff that I would never have talked to you about before because it's like, okay, all right, I get it. But this, everything is so critical right now. The UCC bill ushers in uh, cryptocurrency. It defines digital money, and that's a, a cryptocurrency from the central bank, not any other cryptocurrency. Carol Roth, who is the author of a new book called You Will Own Nothing, uh, it has been pushed back for a release date of July 11th. I think my book uh, on kind of the same topic. Yours, we they make nice bookends. Um, comes out July 4th. If you want to uh, get uh, Carol's book, you can go to carolroth.com forward slash Glenn and learn all about the uh, the project she has uh, as well that will help you protect your wealth in the face of forces working to take away your economic freedom. Um, give me a couple of those, will you, Carol? Can we start? Can we start with that? What What should people be doing right now? Because I'm starting to get the feeling this may not be over. Yeah, I mean, I think on a personal basis, you want to be doubling down and diversifying your portfolio because there's forces coming at us, as you said, talk from to me. everywhere. Hang on. Talk to me about somebody who's never paid attention to their 401k, and that <laughs> is the extent of their portfolio. Yes. Well, I mean, obviously, this is not financial advice and right. anything that you do should be based um, on a discussion with a financial advisor. If you have one based on your own objectives and risk tolerance, that's the caveat, because otherwise the government's going to come after Glenn and I uh, for giving <laughs> out financial advice. And which we we're don't not do doing. that. But I think that if you have all of your eggs in one basket, you're 100% exposed to stock, or maybe you know, you've never trusted the market, so you have all of your money sitting in the mattress, you want to make sure that you have things in different form factors. Um, certainly, uh, if you have a home or if you have the opportunity to buy some land, that's a great thing. If you have the opportunity to di diversify with some physical metals, not you know an ETF, but physical metals, gold, silver, et cetera, that's a good thing. Having some exposure to less risky bonds, although less risky these days means, you know, all different kinds of things. That's a good thing. And making sure that you have, you know, kind of the basics, you know, prepped to be able to get through a difficult period is a good thing. So it's really important that you have that level of diversification because A, we don't know, you know, where the issue is going to come from first. And we also don't know the time frame. And I think that's the most important thing is that, you know, we see the trajectory that's happening, but we don't know if this is something that's going to happen within six months or if this takes, you know, a full 10 or 15 years to undo itself. By 2025. Mark my yes. words, by 2025. <laughs> 
but there are all kinds of things that can happen in the meantime. Yes. So you want to make sure that you have both the opportunity for capital appreciation, especially since they are decreasing the purchasing power of your dollar and you want to make sure that you're keeping pace with inflation and not losing out, but also focusing on capital preservations form factors that you can control in terms of your wealth so that you know you're you're not uh, SOL so to speak you know dependent on the situation that's the best thing you can do right now is really diversify okay can you explain credit suisse for me um, because <laughs> that was having problems they had to run to their central bank to get 54 million dollars or billion dollars um, and then uh, I haven't heard boo about Deutsche Bank, which is always, I mean, in good times, it's like, we're about to go under. Yes. And then there's also First Republic, too, that's right. uh, you know in the mix today. So there's all different, all kinds of fun um, afoot in the global banking system. All right. So let's start with Credit Suisse. And you know, to be fair, Credit Suisse has been just a mess for a long time. This is a bank that has been losing money. I think their 2022 fiscal report showed that they were they lost something on the uh, order equivalent about $8 billion. So this is not a bank that's known for being particularly well run. They've gotten caught up in all kinds of scandals and messes. I don't know if you remember, I think it was 2021, there was a hedge fund, um, Bill Wang's hedge fund who blew up Archegos. Mm-hmm. And there were all different kinds of big banks that were involved. And oh, by the way, the smart banks all got out of that really early and had almost no exposure. And one of the banks that was left holding the bag was Credit Suisse. I think that their exposure um, that they said at the time was up to something like 5.5 billion. So this is a bank that's had all kinds of issues. Um, Can I ask you a question? Yes, go ahead. We we didn't have these problems when I was growing up. And it is it I mean, we did, but not like this. Um, It did the when the banks were allowed to become stockbrokers at the same time they're a bank. Isn't that the real problem? Shouldn't we separate these banks from stock houses or I mean, uh, investment houses? Banks. Yeah. So this actually happened while I was an investment banker. I worked for a really great investment bank that once this key provision of Glass-Steagall that separated investment banks from the banking system was repealed in the Clinton years, um, you know, it was a free-for-all and we got gobbled up um, first by Nations Bank and then they merged with Bank of America. So I went through this, you know, kind of on a real-time basis. So I think there's sort of two different aspects to it. One is that's certainly the issue. We know that more consolidation creates more systemic risk. If you have things spread out, they may happen more frequently but they're smaller in nature. When you consolidate things together, then that creates too big to fail in, in, in a real situation. Um, you know, so I think that, that that's kind of the issue. And then the other one is just the financialization of everything. If you think about what's happened over the last decades, you know, with derivative products and yeah. more risks and the, you know, the, the finance on top of finance, the system has really become very bastardized and has gotten away from kind of the core of what it was meant to do. And if you look at the United States in terms of, you know, our GDP, what is our biggest industry? 21% of our GDP is financial services, including insurance. So, you know, there's been a good side to that, but there's also 
obviously been a lot of problems. So um, Carl Icahn said, uh, what, yesterday, day before, um, and there's a few people that are saying this, that the bailout of Silicon Valley Bank is really the moment that we are no longer a a free market, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of system. I, you know, I, I saw that. I think I saw Ken Griffin say it. I don't know if Carl yeah. Icahn said it. Perhaps he said that as well. I mean, it's really laughable. I mean, the moment that we stopped being a capitalist system was back, you know, on uh, Black Monday when the Fed stepped in and decided that they were going to be able to support the market no matter what happened. And that accelerated, you know, with abandon during the Great Recession financial crisis. I mean, up until that point, we never had the Fed interfere in the markets, um, you know, the way that we're seeing now. It wasn't when, I, as I said, when I was growing up as a now recovering investment banker, but back at the time, like we never paid attention to what the Fed did. It was like a mechanism of, you know, of the markets, but right. it wasn't that important. We focused on fundamentals. Now, you know, that's the, the, the God center of the market. We are letting a handful of people play God with the economy and they're not doing a very good job, by the way. So the idea that these people who have benefited from nearly 15 years of low interest rate policy and easy money that has transferred money from Main Street to Wall Street now think that you know somebody getting their payroll and not having that blown up is the end of capitalism is really, really you know kind of distasteful. Um, let, let me just I want to touch on the the Fed thing, the question that I had, but um, I, I think it's so geeky that really is it something to worry about? That, let me just ask you that. Is it anything to worry about what I shared with you on the Fed? So, I mean, I think it's just derivative of the fact that the Fed it has become something to worry about. They are a menace to society. Their role has grown, grown into something. You know, it's kind of like Dr. Frankenstein. Like, we need to stop the monster. And the powers that they have, um, you know, are just completely screwing up and creating all these ripple effects that clearly either they can't see or they want to have happen. And either way, the outcome is not great for the average American. Okay. Um, I, I want to switch and talk about the uniform commercial code. Um, <laughs> this is the redefining money. And I have talked to legislators all over the country and they say they have never seen coordinated pushback, even on ESG like this. Um, they said there is just massive power and money behind this, trying to convince everybody, oh, no, 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 it's no big deal. <laughs> are, you, are you up on it enough to be able to talk about it? So, so let me tell you what I do know um, in terms of, and I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't even play one on Glenn Beck's yeah. program. Um, but what I do know is in order for us to have a central bank digital currency, it needs approval by Congress. So the more things that we have that start to change the definition of what money is and put that on a path to be stuck in the back of some bill and for nobody to know that this has happened is a really scary thing. And while, as I said, I cannot interpret the legal language because I don't Correct. have that expertise to say, is that, would that count? It kind of really sounds like that. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's blocking the way for cryptocurrency, uh, like Bitcoin, it will not be considered money. Only the central bank, uh, digital currency. 
And uh, I don't know if you saw last night's show with Steve Forbes, but he was, I mean, very animated on cryptocurrency from the federal government. He's he, he agreed with what you and I talked about yesterday. End of freedom. Full stop. Yeah. Well, and let's also talk about first of all, love Steve Forbes, a longtime good friend. He's a really, yeah, really smart him. and good, good guy. But here's the interesting thing is that a digital currency from the Fed actually isn't a cryptocurrency because a right. cryptocurrency's key property is decentralization and a digital dollar is full centralization, the full taking of your freedom. So this is exactly what they're doing, Glenn. They're trying to conflate it. They're saying people are really into crypto. They know it's a good thing. They know it's a pushback. Let's just confuse everybody and let let them think, oh, this is a crypto. We're just getting into crypto. No, it's not crypto. It takes the whole reason and purpose that people are into crypto is because they do not trust government fiat currency and they want to have that decentralization. The digital dollar is even though it may live on a blockchain, it may use some of the same technology. It is entirely centralized and it means the government will have absolute control of everything that you do because they control their money your money and if they control your money they control you you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program would you lose hope if i said what if ron DeSantis or donald trump can't save us if you lose hope after hearing those words your hope is misplaced what always saves america what saves america is americans we at the last minute when all seems lost we finally get it and go oh and we pull together now they've done everything they can to make sure that we we don't stay together but i have a sneaking suspicion that coalition that they have built is falling apart courage and hope a letter to mainstream straddler live not by half lies by margaret anna alice i get it you don't want to be called a conspiracy theorist you don't want to be tarred as an anti-vaxxer a science denier far right-wing extremist you have your reputation to protect your credibility your grant funding so you just water it down you tiptoe around the truth you don't go there. And the philanthropaths, the tyrants, the big liars, the enablers continue to profit, continue to conspire, continue to torture, continue to slaughter. They'll tell you right to your face what they're doing. But if you then turn around and quote them, you're the crazy one. If you ask why a child, a teen, an athlete, other healthy adults suddenly had a heart attack or got turbo cancer or died, you are the truly disgusting one. If you provide scientific evidence that a warp speed experimental injection being peddled by a trillion dollar industry in collusion with governments, federal agencies, the media and big tech might be dangerous. You, not the corporations raking in billions, are the grifter. If you ask what's causing the sudden deaths and injuries that began surging in 2021 in hopes of preventing future such tragedies, you're just morally reprehensible. You point out that maybe we should think twice about pushing a product, you know, estimated to have killed 13 million human beings and counting. Well, you're the major killing force globally and guilty of undermining public confidence. 
If you call genocide genocide, you're the enemy, the misinformation spreader, the anti-Semite. If you dare point out never again is already happening, you get inquisitioned, even though the Holocaust survivors and their relatives agree with you. You know you're living in a world of lies when the mob is more enraged at the whistleblowers revealing the deceptions, corruption, and murder than they are at the lying liars, the corrupt corruptors, the murdering murderers themselves. Snowden said, when exposing a crime is treated as committing a crime, you're being ruled by criminals. And guess what? Once you start calling, once they start calling you those hideous names, you realize they're nothing more than magician's smoke. You gradually start to give fewer and fewer craps about things. You know you've hit zero when you feel the exhilarating liberation that comes from shouting the unfettered truth. That's the words can never hurt you stage, and you become untouchable, and you start collecting libels like purple hearts. And the more scars you can count, the more evidence of your efficacy, your threat to the hegemony. That's when you can truly live, and by truth, not by lies. If enough of us stand up and do that, we can hold the perpetrators accountable and we can find justice. Once you're living in alignment with your values, you'll feel the deepest joy fathomable. And when COVID criminals have found, been found guilty, when the spells dissolve, the people will gradually awaken from their coma and recognize you for the hero you are. Or not. Most will be too ashamed to admit that they were conned, to realize they shielded fascist tyrants and attack those trying to rescue them few find that courageous humility within themselves to acknowledge their complicity in totalitarianism and so they will swathe themselves in soothing denial and lash out to anyone who tries to puncture it but you will keep trying anyway because that is what truth tellers do your bravery will outlive you your words will remain like candles lighting the path for future truth droppers and you will be at peace in life and beyond i read that a couple of weeks ago and i said to my staff i need to talk to this woman she is amazing her name is margaret anna alice and she's on the program with us now hi margaret ann Hi, Glenn. Thank you so much for that enthusiastic reading. That oh my was gosh. really sweet. I, I, you know, you, I, I saw a bio of you and, and who you admire and look up to as uh, heroes. Uh, <laughs> and there are many of the same people uh, uh, that I look up to. And Stolas Nietzsche, and this just screams Stolas Nietzsche to me. Well, that was quite an honor when I heard you say that. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about... Um, your philosophy. You just started a new Substack, right? Well, actually, I, it's all been almost two years since I started. Oh my gosh! It. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, April 2021 is when I first um, launched it, and I just I started it with a piece called "A Primer for the Propagandized: Fear is the Mind Killer." Um, mm. And I had, you know, from the beginning of the COVID. Um, <laughs> scamdemic or whatever you want to call it. It was quite obvious that the propaganda was being used to psychologically manipulate people, um, you know, create a state of fear and panic so people would obey and essentially following Biderman's chart of coercion, 
like a recipe. <laughs> and so um, I was initially attempting to sort of wake people up to this fact by reaching out through, you know, online, local communities, next door, things like that. And I eventually found that the censorship was so extreme, yeah. it was basically impossible to share any references. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as soon as I'd post a comment, if I had a link in there to substantiating evidence, it would get disappeared within minutes. And so I had somebody had posted something at Nextdoor that basically said, you know, these masks are not about health. They're about fear and obedience and obedience training, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a pretty lengthy comment in response to that. And by the time I was getting ready to post it, um, that post had been disappeared. Wow. <laughs> and so I, I read it to my husband and he said, you know, you should submit that to Off Guardian. And so I thought, okay, well, I need a place to house it. And I'd been thinking about creating a Substack anyway. So just in an afternoon, just threw together a Substack, published that piece, submitted it to Off Guardian, and kind of forgot about it for a couple of weeks. Mm. And, and then Kit Knightley got back to me and said that they would love to publish it. And then that sort of kicked off my... Um, publishing career in a way, yeah. and um, then so my readership snowballed from there. What is the um, what is the reaction to you? Because you are so clear. You're obviously extraordinarily bright and well-read. You obviously know philosophy and, and uh, history really, really well. You'd, you. it, it'd be hard to argue with you. What is the reaction? <laughs> um, well, from my readership, um, you know, very enthusiastic, extremely appreciative. Um, one of the things you probably notice that I do a lot is essentially I provide substantiating evidence for practically every word. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know. I have, I have, have hyperlinks. Um, so I show my homework, and that way if anybody questions it or wants to explore more on their own, I've created basically all these rabbit holes that people can go down. Mm-hmm. And um, my readers are, you know, they love that. Um, some people find it irritating, <laughs> which I understand. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, have to, <laughs> I have to tell you, uh, you know, the letter to the mainstream straddler that I just mm-hmm. read, it has mm-hmm. a lot of things I had to cut out for time, uh, but it yeah. has a lot of things like Wampeter that I had never heard before. And I followed mm-hmm. the hyperlink. And I'm uh-huh. like, oh, my gosh. And so I was only annoyed because your one article took up about an hour of my time right. before I realized, <laughs> wait a minute, I've got a life. Um, right. it, but it is it's a great, great education. What is your Thanks. what's your goal? Well, when I started my Substack, um, my mission I articulated as um, I want to awaken the sleeping before tearing uh, well, actually, I should say, unmask totalitarianism and awaken the sleeping before tyranny triumphs. Mm. And um, that's still, you know, part of my goal, part of my mission. But what I've found is in my many attempts to awaken the sleeping, <laughs> um, it is quite a, um, an arduous task if they're not willing to wake up. And so, um, you know, my, I launched my letter series with a piece called Letter to a Covidian. And, you know, I'm basically trying to confront the people with their hypocrisy, 
their discrimination, um, the fact that they allowed themselves to be manipulated into becoming hateful, fearful people. And, um, you know, it, it is difficult when people are sort of in a state of fear, they're panicked, and they're just clinging to these easy solutions and safety. And um, Laura Dodsworth wrote a great book called A State of Fear that documents the psychological manipulation techniques that were used specifically in the UK. But anyway, so part of my mission has evolved in that I am reaching so many fellow dissidents Mm -hmm. around the world. And so um, really it's been about nurturing this really rich community of brave, brilliant, funny, intelligent people. (laughs) And so it's been very gratifying in that sense as well. May I, may I ask you, because the, the global reach when I have um, spoken to people from different countries and I Mm -hmm. look at who's listening to my broadcast and I'll find them everywhere that you would just not expect. And, um, and it kind of gives me hope because I, I believe it's, this is not an American problem. I mean, I think we're a great no. source of it, but mm-hmm. this is not an American problem. This is this is why there are demonstrations all over the world, because yes, people absolutely. know it's the elite against the mm-hmm. common man. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and I love that you pointed that out earlier. You mentioned if you're if your hope is in Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, your hope is in the wrong place. Right. And one of my recurring themes is that it is we, the people against they. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so that's one of the reasons I wrote, I have a Profiles in Courage series mm. and I did a, a piece on the Canadian trucker protests who, of course, they were vilified in the media. Um, big surprise. Um, but I spent, you know, a great deal of time just listening to the stories of the people who were there, just kind of playing live streams in the background. And there was just this upswelling of joy and emotional uh, connection with one another. And it, I called it the winter of love. And you see when ordinary people get together in a spirit of peaceful yep. compliance, that is where our power lies. I was going to I was going to say to you a minute ago when you were talking about, you know, you're trying to get people uh, out of the darkness and how they just Mm -hmm. are unwilling to go. Fear, fear and hatred are so strong and they cannot be uh, disabled with more fear or hatred. It has to be love. Exactly. And that's hard to convince people who keep feeling like a stick in the head or a stick Mm -hmm. in the eye. Um, Mm -hmm. And you kind of have some righteous indignation. You're like, "Uh, I'm not the bad guy here. It's really (laughs) hard to get them to act in love. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say in arguing with COVIDians, it is it has been a test of my patience. Yeah, I bet I bet it has maintain my composure and be compassionate toward them. And um, I I do a rolling an interview series called Dissident Dialogues. And um, I call them rolling because as I work through the questions, I publish them one at a time for my paid subscribers. And then when it's completed, I make it available to the public. Um, but right now I'm engaged in one with Meredith Miller, who is a holistic coach, and I have found her insights 
into the psyche of what is occurring. Absolutely fascinating. I've been studying this, been writing about it for three years. Um, and of course, I've been studying these topics for many more years in, before this. But she articulates it in such a way that really helped me understand it from the perspective of these victims of the psychological manipulation. Um, so, for example, you know, she sees them as victims of narcissistic, emotional, psychological abuse, and she calls it a psychoneurospiritual state of captivity. And so if you think of them as being like abused partners yeah. in a, you know, an unhealthy true. relationship and they have Stockholm syndrome, they are defending their captors. Yes. And so anyone who tries to get them rescue from that them from that situation before they are ready, they're going to resist. And so Meredith um, basically said they have to be the ones who make they have to have this moment, this epiphany, this moment of disruptive truth that helps them break through and recognize that they're being abused. And that those of us who are outside trying to oh. rescue them from that abuse, right. once they wake up and, you know, she said, my substack is extremely valuable for people when well, they are awakening because they're thirsty for that truth and that evidence to support their Margaret, newfound realizations. Margaret, I would love to continue our conversation. I'm going to become a paid subscriber of, of your substack. Aww. Um, I think you're amazing, and I, I hope you don't mind. I would love to uh, share some of your ideas. Um, oh, please do. Absolutely. you're a remarkable writer. Thank you so much. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the uh, Glenn Beck Program. So I was reading a story today <clears throat> about uh, Duck Dynasty star Missy Robertson. Uh, and she was out with Kirk Cameron. They were doing a, a book event at a library in Tennessee, Hendersonville, which doesn't sound like a huge metropolis. Um, but uh, they were doing it at the public library and they had real problems. I mean, the thing almost didn't happen. Um, and as I'm reading this story, I thought I got to call Missy and just ask her about it. Missy Robertson is, uh, here with us. Uh, Missy is the author of several books. Um, uh, the latest is because you're my family and she was out with Kirk Cameron. His book is as you grow. Hi, Missy. How are you? Hi. Hi, Glenn. Thank you for having me. We're great. Yeah. It's so good to talk to you. Uh, yeah, so, so, um, you know, if you're watching your uh, your podcast or your show on uh, Blaze TV or on YouTube, you saw you bring this up and talk about it. Can you can you retell the <laughs> yeah. story? Yes, I actually when I came home from that trip, I told my husband, Jace, who's um, who's one of the, the talent on Unashamed. Yeah. With Phil and Jace Robertson on Blaze TV. He I said, can I be on your podcast tomorrow? And I never ask for that. They want me to be on there, and I'm either too busy or uninterested <laughs> to be on there <laughs> with my family, just being totally transparent. Right. But so, so when I said, I need to talk about something on the podcast, it kind of shocked him, and he just said yes immediately, which was really funny. I said, you don't even know what I want to talk about. But what had happened was literally the day before, and I was in Tennessee with my children. Most of my children and both of my grandbabies live in the Nashville area, and I was spending some time with them. And Brave Books reached out to me and said, hey, you know, Kirk's going to be 
on his library tour in Hendersonville, which is not too far from where my children are. Mm-hmm. Would you like to join him and read your book? Absolutely. What a, what a wonderful idea. Kind of wish I thought of that to do a <laughs> library tour. And sure, what a, great, what a great place to do it as well. So that morning, I, I was not privy to a lot of the pushback that had been going on. So I kind of walked in a little deer in the headlights, I think, to use a Southern term. Right. But um, that morning was actually really cold, and it had been warm and beautiful all week. That morning was like 41 degrees, raining and freezing. Mm. And when I got there almost two hours before it opened, there was already a line formed with children, umbrellas, babies. So I thought, okay, I can't really believe that they're coming out for this little library reading, but, you know, kudos to them. Even my children backed out at the last minute because <laughs> our babies are little and like, mom, we're, we're, we're not going right. to come. Like, it's totally fine. I mm-hmm. totally understand. So as the morning went on, the lines got longer and Brave wanted to do some little promos about our books inside this beautiful, I'm going to state this, this beautiful multi-level, gorgeous library with tons of windows. Inside was like just really massive for a small little town. I was not expecting this. Right. And so the depth of the library behind us was just such a great, beautiful place to do some promos and um, was just kind of snuck up on when I realized that people started making noise in the closed library, people were outside, and and where's this noise coming from? And I realized over the next few minutes that it was being done on purpose to distract from what we were trying to do is make these videos, just promoting, just promoting these books. And, And these books, what's so silly is these books are about unconditional love of family, forgiveness, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> These are kind of ironic when you think about so, some of the things that we're trying to push. They say that we're trying to push so, on children and their families. So wait a minute. So let me ask you, why didn't you just ask the librarian to do what all librarians do and say, shh, wh- who were these people that were... Well, they were the library staff. But again, like oh. I said before, I, I wasn't really sure what was going on. And I, you know, being in reality TV, we're, we don't, we don't, we're not on sets anywhere. We're in real yeah, everyday circumstances. Right. And so I thought, you know, maybe people are, we're, we're in their environment. They forgot to lower their voices. Mm-hmm. We're trying to do something, you know, so can we ask them nicely to, you know, be quiet? Yeah. Well, that happened like three times. We even kind of laughed about it like, shh. I think Kirk said, it's a library, you know, like, ha ha. And it just wasn't happening. And we realized there was, there was a moment where I thought something is wrong when um, one of the brave team asked the director who was coming kind of out into the open. And he said, Hey, can you ask your staff to hold it down? And he fired back. You're not even supposed to be here. And Kirk shot back. Yes, we are supposed to be here. And these were very loud voices, and it kind of took me off guard. Like, something, are we not supposed to be in the library? Like, I start thinking <laughs> about, like, are, are, we, are we doing something we're not supposed to do? I'm, I'm such a rule follower, and I don't want to upset anyone, you know? So, and Brave just looked, the, the Brave team just looked at me and was like, we're fine, and yes, we're supposed to be here. 
did they the lady behind the this is what you said on unashamed uh the lady at the front desk of the library said we're just trying to look for things to deal with our stress yes that's <laughs> that was i think the actual moment where it confirmed in my mind and really look i'm like am i I, I'm just sitting there thinking that everyone, we're welcome. There's hundreds of people outside. So this was really hard for me to wrap my brain around, that someone was trying to thwart this process. And so when she said that, after Riley, you know, Riley Gaines was also there reading for Bethany Hamilton's book. Bethany was in Hawaii and couldn't come. So Riley grew up in that area. She said, I grew up five minutes from this library. So this was her hometown. So I started to think about what would happen if, you know, our little West Monroe library, West Monroe, Louisiana library, if some of the, the people were acting like that against someone that I had invited or was invited to my hometown library, I, I would be embarrassed. And I think, you know, she took it upon herself to kind of march over there and say, look, we're asking for 60 seconds of quiet. Can you not turn off the the music that you're blaring, there's no one in here but us. And we're asking for 60 seconds. And she said that she didn't think she had the authority to make that decision oh to turn gosh. off the radio. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I mean, nothing is probably going to happen to these people. I don't know if you fired a, uh, you know, or, or filed a complaint, but this this actually started. I have not. Yeah, they, yeah. Th- this actually started uh, with the brave book people because Mm-hmm. They wanted to turn uh, uh, turn Kirk down, right? So I don't know all of the facts about that. Um, so, but I was learning as I was standing there. We, we had a job to do. Right. We, we had hundreds of people waiting for us, and we were right. really excited about it. these books. Are really good. <laughs> they are so sweet. The ones that we were reading, especially that day, to all of these children and families, and I, I was so I'm so proud of this book and for Kirk's book because they're biblical values without, you know, basically shoving verses down children's throats. Yes. Is what I think some of the quotes have mm-hmm. been said about us, but they're not that way at all. They're beautifully written and illustrated. And it's a partnership that the authors have with brave books. And so, and, and like my book is about unconditional love and forgiveness of family. And I loved when I talk about it to, to speak about how the father in heaven and Jesus who created us, love us unconditionally, that there is nothing in the world that we will ever do to make him stop loving us. We will disappoint him. We have, uh, we have things that we have to make up for. There are consequences to our behavior, but he will never stop loving us. And it, it mirrors our own with our own children and parenting. It's beautiful. Isn't it amazing, Missy, how (laughs) this is so, the world is so upside down that, that is considered evil indoctrination. Yes, it's really sad. And I don't get angry a lot because I feel like the older I get and the more my relationship with my creator grows, the more I love him and appreciate his sacrifice for me. And the more I understand why he loves me so much, especially now that I have grandbabies, I have two generations of children Mm -hmm. behind me that I love unconditionally and would do anything for. And I want everyone to experience that relationship like I have with him. And so now, you know, there, there have been consequences to that library 
and to their staff's behavior. I got a text from Kirk last night, actually, um, telling me that the library director was fired. Wow. And so I don't have a lot of confirmation of that. But my initial response was, whoa. Yeah, that I would not expect that. I I told Mm. Jace, my husband, last night, I said, when I told him, he said, good. And I thought, I mean, it is good, but we don't wish ill on anyone. I know. I I feel like they do on us, but we really don't wish ill on anyone. But we have to stand up for what they are trying to do with our children and our grandchildren. And now I've got two brand new grandbabies that my children are having to make decisions on where to put them in school, if they're even going to go to a school. It's very difficult situation for them, and, and I do not envy them. We're going to support, support them 100% in whatever decision they make, but they're really taking it seriously, and I'm afraid that if we don't, we're going to lose a lot of our children. Oh, I, we already have, unfortunately, because we didn't speak up. And, you know, you, you said, you know, the, the stronger I am with the Lord, um, uh, you've just experienced his love. Uh, and I'll tell you, the the stronger I become in the Lord, I find myself in those situations with greater compassion for the person. Yeah. It's really weird. I, it's, it's, you don't get angry. You just, you're like, what kind of suffering did you go through or are you going through? What are, what are you what carrying around? Are you believing? Yeah. It's, it's so sad. I, I mean, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I was angry. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I, I know. was angry yeah. at first. You know, that's, that's what led me to, want to talk about this. Um, you, you know, I got home that day. We have a place there in, close to my kids, and and my son Cole was there, and he's my peacemaking, laid-back child. Let's don't ruffle any feathers. And he was like, Mom, you need to talk about this. Yeah, there's a, you know, people think that if you're loving and you're following in the footsteps of Christ that you're, you're just never going to, you know, say anything. That's not fighting. No, 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 no. It's standing firm in the truth with compassion to other people, but that doesn't mean you don't say anything. You, you cannot live your life quiet, especially in this world. If you are not an enemy of evil, then you're really nothing. You're, you know, you're, you're nothing, you know, and, and Riley, Riley was amazing what she did. And I, and I was taken so off guard for a second she was like, this is not happening and walked over there and was not unkind at all, but very direct. And we have all of that on video. All, you know, Brave was steadily rolling. I, mm. I started videoing with my with my own phone because I thought, is this really this is happening? This is what I've been seeing on the news happening from coast to coast, but not here yeah. in the middle, the no. flyover state. This Pe- is not happening in our little hometowns, but it is. Yeah, it people is. people don't have any idea. It is in all of our communities. Um, Missy, thank you so much, and say hi Absolutely. to everybody for me. And yeah. we we so appreciate Unashamed uh, and yeah. <laughs> and all of your work. So thank you, thank you, you thank bet. you so much. Bye-bye. Bye bye.